This is Steve Boston, and you are here on my turning point, where special guest today is Red Hot Chili Peppers bassist Flea. I've known Flea for many years. Great dude, and incredibly kind of him to invite us into his home, sit in the backyard, play fetch with his dog. You will hear them barking and running in there. But this is what happens when you get to go into the home of a rock star. We are talking today about his incredible new memoir, Absent for the Children, which I cannot recommend highly enough. So hope you enjoy the interview as much as we did. So the premise of the show, as you know, uh, very fitting for a memoir. It's called My Turning Point. Okay. And basically it starts with the with the guest and then it just sort of morphs into a normal interview. But it starts with the guest picking a turning point moment in their life. And from reading that book, it's funny, I just mentioned Walt. You had several, but you know, some people go very personal, some people go professional. Yeah. So it's crazy how everybody has these different moments yeah. that have such a significant impact. Yeah. Um, well, for me, there, you know, I guess everybody probably has a bunch that affect yeah. them in different ways. That's the thing. Is this, yeah, and some people, like I said, some people go very personal, some people go professional, and some people do more than one because, like Brian O'Bare from Silver Sun Pickups, for example, yeah. did one personal and one professional because he was like, it's too hard to, you know, pick one. Yeah. Um, well, I'm going to pick two. Cool. The first one is something that's in my book, and it's, uh, you know, I write about it, you know, the best I could to explain it in my book, so I'm kind of repeating myself, but since we're, we are, you know, I am here for my book today. Um, my mother, you know, when I was a kid, my father was a very straight-laced man. He worked for the Australian government. He wore a suit every day. He did work that I didn't know what it was, but it was important and it required a suit and a briefcase and a trip on the subway every day. And um, when I was four years old, we, we moved from Australia to New York for him to be there, for, for us to be there for four years while he worked at the Australian consulate and then we were going to go back to Australia. And everything was very... We had dinner every night at seven. We, it was by the book. We went to school. We came home. We did our homework. We, you know, we, we, every, the structure was like almost militant in its precision. And <clears throat> during that four years, my mother meets this jazz musician guy, a junkie jazz musician who lived in his parents' basement, leaves my dad. My dad goes back to Australia without us. We go move into this guy's parents' basement, literally a little basement, um, the four of us. And he's a jazz musician. We live in the basement for a while. Everything's completely turned upside down. And that in itself is a life-changing experience because all of a sudden we were unwatched. We were wild in the street. We were crazy. We were, you know, it was just like, do whatever you want. Go on, kids. And we just got up and went out in the street and tried to get in trouble. I started getting high when I was 11. But, but the thing, the life-changing thing that happened was shortly after uh, we were in a basement for like six months. We get a little house down the street, and Walter uh, has the first jam session that I ever see. And Walter's a jazz musician. He plays bebop jazz. And for those that some people don't know about bebop, it's a form of music that Charlie Parker uh, invented in the 40s. It is a violent, revolutionary, you know, poetically ethereal also but it's a music of that engages the body and the mind in the most cerebral sophisticated way you have to be enormously skilled to play it well 
Um, and these guys play it well. They're dedicated, focused jazz musicians who had dedicated their whole life. They set up in the living room and they start playing. And I remember they, they were playing fast and Walter played bass. He played the upright bass. It's like... And he's hunched over the bass attacking it like a fucking animal. And all these guys, are you know, saxophones, trumpets, drummer, vamping, piano, deep groove. And I'd never, you know, I'd heard my parents play Peter, Paul, and Mary softly in the house when they had friends over for cocktail parties. I never, you know, I'd heard music. I liked music. I liked the Beatles. You know what I mean? But all of a sudden, and it wasn't like, it was like the music took me. It wasn't like I had a choice, like, oh my God, this is amazing. I'm going to jump around and be crazy. It was like the music literally threw me onto the ground, started throwing me around the room. I started screaming and yelling and laughing and staring at them. And, and I, it was the most phenomenal thing. Like, I, I, I've told this story a number of times in my life, you know? I get goosebumps now still talking about it because it's so, like, it was a... a door opened up to something I didn't know existed and it was the most magical thing I could ever have imagined and all of a sudden I realized that there were these things that were possible that were way beyond my comprehension and I even though I knew what they were doing I couldn't I couldn't believe it I didn't understand how anyone could ever do it and it changed my life forever well it's funny because you say in the book that you know you still to this day have never seen anybody play with the ferocity never and I saw every punk rock band, every hardcore band, every butthole surfer show, every black flag show that I could see. Every, and I saw a lot of intensity and violence and wildness and out of control and spiritually profound performances. But the way that he played, and it's funny because I was always reacting against him, you know, because he became my father figure and he was a very difficult man. He was, you know, crazy and violent and a junkie and, and very irrational and terrifying. But it was only recently I realized, like, when I play bass and when I'm fucking into it and I'm going for it and I'm engaging that animal part of myself, that I learned that from him. And I always thought I was going against him because he played a jazz musician. He looked down on me for playing rock music. He thought rock music was for stupid people, you know? What's fascinating about that, though, it's funny, something you just said, and we'll come on to the other turning point moment in a second, because I know that you mentioned there were two. And it's funny, because there's another moment in the book that gave me goosebumps, and I'll tell you what that is in a second. And I'm just sort of thinking about these things out loud, so I don't forget them as well. But it's interesting that you say about him and, and seeing all these punk musicians, because I've had this conversation for so long, and I don't believe it's the heaviness of the music. Like, for example, I've often said that, that the heaviest music I can think of is John Lennon's Plastic Ono Band. It's not the it's not the tempo. Yeah. It's it's the level with which you play and it's the intensity. Yeah, so well, it's interesting because w the way that you describe Walter in the book is being this junkie and having this emotion. I'm not surprised that no one else could ever match that. And again, like I said, it doesn't matter like to me Black Sabbath, I fucking love Black Sabbath. Yeah. But Black Sabbath is not the heaviest music I've ever heard. No, and I never, and I agree wholeheartedly. I never equate volume, speed, distortion pedals, riffs, heavy riffs, um, with the only way of being heavy. You know, and and the Plasticono band's a great one. How about like, you know, uh, uh, Joni Mitchell, like in her most poetic, beautiful moments. You know, I wish I had a river I could fly, float away on. Yeah, like, I love the fact that you quote Blue in the book as well. Oh, I do. I forgot about yeah. that. But that that kind of. But I mean, so many like that. For me, it's always the purity of the, the feeling. It's the intention, the motivation, the integrity behind it, and just the sense of yearning, the human, the pain that we feel, and that yearning to fucking transcend the fucking 
abject pain of being a human being. I was just going to say the desperation, and so I'm sure that's yeah. what was in Walter's playing, was that... Well, totally. And in his case, you know, he was... You know, I later found out, you know, that, you know, because he was a very difficult person, that he had endured, you know, awful, awful abuse by his own parents, you know? And um, so to... to uh, you know, he was exercising the demons within him when he was doing that. And I didn't know that as a kid. Right. But I think I... I absorbed that without knowing it you know what i mean like i i realized what it was but i you know, even though i couldn't analyze it or intellectualize it or even articulate it i knew that he was metamorphosizing this awful pain and loneliness into something beautiful well sure and, as a kid you you pick up on that intuition it's also very interesting though and again i swear we're going to come back to the other turning point moment in a second but it's interesting that you say that you know he being a jazz musician looked down on the rock music, because you talk about the fact that your dad as well, and to your biological father, you know, being so militant and being in Australia, he didn't really understand the rock music either. So it's very interesting that both of them come from these two completely different worlds mm. and are so different and yet had that same thing. And I'm sure that that played such a part in who you are as a musician as well. Because it's something that I talk about with people a lot is that as you, as you get older, you start to go back and appreciate that influence. Oh, totally. And you start to appreciate the things that were difficult. That at the time, or any time, you're like in this awful pain, and life is pushing you in a way. And it's like, you can fight against it, but it's only going to make the fight longer than if you surrender, okay, like, I got to go this way. You know what I mean? And my lesson is here. You know, it's not where I want it to be, because that's what feels good now. And looking back at, at like, you know, the, the domestic family problems that I had as a kid, they drove me to form very close bonds with my friends outside of my family, which is how I end up, you know, having a band and doing all that stuff because I formed these bonds like running around in the street with my friends that were really profound and really deep connections and made us like, you know, with my band that we're able to connect in a way where things can, you know, be way beyond like the sum of their parts way beyond just like putting musicians together that are capable of doing different things and forming a togetherness that you know can be inspiring to people and you know I, I guess it's you know expressing a loneliness and a hurt that makes all the other lonely hurt people not feel so alone you know I mean that's what it's all about uh, you know ultimately with any kind of art well I thought it was really interesting that in the book and 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 this will be the last thing before the second turning point moment. Oh, yeah, but yeah. it's funny because you talk about the fact that, you know, the, the loneliness you felt as a child and, and the family problems. I thought it was very interesting that you, the first parental figure you start with is your Nana. And the moment that gave me goosebumps when you talk about her being at the Australian show yeah. and, she, and she's in the pantsuit. And she lifts up her arms, and the whole audience starts applauding. Yeah. What's great about the imagery, and that you you can I don't I have no idea what the hell your grandmother looked like. Yeah. You can picture that hundred percent. Like yeah. you can picture at least the idea of this person yeah. turning around and just sort of the glow in them yeah. that everybody responds to. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was one of those like full circle moments of a person that I didn't really get to see a lot because my grandma. You know, I left Australia when I was four years old, and she came to visit probably three times to America but it's those you know when I started writing and I started becoming really fascinated by the parts of my childhood that I couldn't remember clearly um, a squirrel farted you know <laughs> the dogs just ran um, yeah you know I don't know what makes them run but but it's you know so but there's these things there's things in, yeah I know these things that you don't 
you can't really re- like remember clearly, but the feelings are so profound. And like it's like maybe even just be a smell or a color or an article of clothing or a, you know some little part of a memory, and you're not even sure why, but it has this profound effect on you, and it's like a pillar of who you are. It's like a thing that you hold on to. It's like I'm going to be okay in times of distress, you know. And when I started, you know, uncovering these things, these feelings from my childhood, writing about them and my yearning to understand them and get it underneath them and find out what was the energy moving that affected me so much. Um, that was where I really kind of fell in love with the idea of writing about my childhood and not going into the Chili Peppers, ending it when the Chili Peppers started and just writing my formative years. Um, and my grandmother, you know, was, was, was a part of my childhood where, you know, it was just pure love and... And I felt like such a caring from her, yeah. Well, okay, so what was your second turning point moment before we oh, go on Well, now that? that we're on the subject of love, um, <clears throat> about a year and, I don't know, like 14 months ago, I, you know, you've covered my music school before. Yes. And, uh, and in know, fact, we're going to talk about that today because I'm, I'm actually meeting Jennifer tomorrow. Oh, great. We yes. have a fundraiser this Saturday. Yes. Well, last With year... With Eddie Vedder, correct? Yeah, Eddie, Eddie's playing, yeah. And I'm wearing my Pearl Jam 10 Vans. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Eddie's awesome. I and I just saw you guys at Ohana, so it all does... Oh, come, cool. Yeah. yeah, I fucking love that guy. But, um... Uh, so you're mentioning love. So, so last year's fundraiser, on September 29th, I, you know, I had... You know, I've been through a lot of relationships in my life with women. I've had five, five-year-long relationships. And I've, bro- I've, you know, been... They've all you know, ended, clearly. <laughs> and the last one, it ended, it was so painful, and I I had kind of thought, like, I'm unable to be in a relationship and make it work. Like, I'm just too fucked up, and I, I always have this pattern that I do where I love a woman, and then once they're there, and then I get confused, I don't know what to do, and and I pull away from them, and then they, they we end up breaking up, and I desperately want them back, and I just have done this pattern over and over again and left myself in so much pain. But um, I had gone like a year being alone, like a date or two here or there, but just feeling really alone in the world. And last year at the fundraiser, I met a woman, and I'll probably cry while I'm saying this. I'm trying not to cry, okay. You do, it's okay. And it's funny because yeah, I also appreciate, I always, you, I appreciate the fact that you're so open about that in the book as well. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. I, I write about that and that was, you know, it's hard, but I just tried to be as honest about what makes me me. Um, and um, anyways, I met a woman and I looked at her and she looked at me and I'd never felt anything like that before in my life. And um, I felt like when I Walter played all those years again I, and like the day that the Chili Peppers started I felt my life turn on its axis and I felt like that pattern of all my dysfunction relationships shift like I, you know it's like those things in life when like something enlightening's happened and it can't really happen until you're ready to see it or hear it you know like the, you know, with the things in life when people mm-hmm. have been there for you and said things and maybe they might have said it and you were just like you know Oh, yeah. that's a good idea, but, you know, you're so off, off in what you're doing, you don't hear it. And anyway, uh, we got married this last weekend. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah, Is this your first you. marriage? Or? Yeah, well, no, I got married 20, uh, 32 years ago, and it lasted two years. Um, but, but um, I don't know, it's just such a huge turning point in my life, and such, like, it opened up a part of me that, that um, is... is uh, so connected to everything that's beautiful in the world. 
and uh, and I'm really grateful. So, you know what's I, really so, interesting yeah, about that? So that's is that. from a writing standpoint. Yeah, it's interesting because you know my favorite thing about writing is that so often it comes from the subconscious. So the things that you learn about, yeah, while writing, yeah. So I wonder, could you have been open to that relationship if you hadn't? already written this book and learned so much about yourself and what did you learn about yourself from relationships and again it's funny because it doesn't have to necessarily portend to romantic relationships I'm sure it has a lot to do with your family upbringing and all that so these things that you were able to bring to your you know to this point in your life that allowed you to be so open to get married and have a successful relationship yeah I mean the the writing of the book from beginning to end, and once I kind of figure out figured out what I was going to write about and how I was going to like the way I was going to do it, like these little stories and stitch them together to form a narrative, the way that I did, it was it wasn't just like writing down stories. It was me trying to understand shit that happened. It was me trying to make sense of myself and me trying to get underneath the stories to you know, really feel the energetic movement that, and why things happen. Why did I act the way I acted? Why was I forced to do this? Or why did I, was I pushed and motivated to do this or that, like positive things or negative things? And, I, you know, without doubt, I'd learned, you know, it was a transformative process for me, that, like learning about myself and writing it all out and the vulnerability of sharing it with the world and the hopes that my loneliness will make other people feel less lonely, you know. Um, but I, you know, I definitely think it had a huge part in, you know, more recent personal growth for me in, like, being able to have some perspective that seems like a really healthy and honest and vulnerable perspective on my childhood um, that would make me ready for, for a love like I'm, you know, so grateful to be able to share with my wife. Um, which is funny to say because we just celebrated <laughs> our week anniversary two days ago. <laughs> well, and it's, it is fitting though that you did it right before the benefit, so you get to go back. Yeah, oh, we don't, we, we're not. That's that is not lost on us. I mean, I'm sure you, you can meet her on a Saturday. Um, but uh, so, is there a song that you now associate with her from last year? Who um, played last year? I, I don't remember. Uh, last year was awesome. It was um, uh, Lindsey Buckingham played, and. Um, uh, um, I'm so. Oh, Katie Lang played. Sorry, nice. I, I, I love did, them both. I didn't but what, Katie Lang was. They were both incredible. And Chili Peppers played. We always play. Right. Yeah. I was just going to say that mm-hmm. I've spent a lot of time with Lindsay. I've interviewed him several times. Mm-hmm. Done a bio with him, and it, it that's really fitting that you met her there because obviously he's a guy who had very famous relationship issues that were public Mm. and you know only in the last few years has gotten married and we've talked about the fact that he's been so happy and got really centered later in life yeah and I you know it's it's funny because I think I mean I don't know Lindsay well enough you know and I don't know his history but I don't you don't get to have that kind of relationship until you're ready for it because there's no fake in it there's no you know you might be able to like (laughs) like do all the right stuff for a little while but you know, you can't, if you're not ready to do it and you don't, um, you can't, you know, feel the, the weight of the simplicity of marriage, you know, and all it's, obviously it's simple in, in a way that the burden of all these distractions are lifted. But if you can't really feel that, you can't, like I always wanted to, I wanted to be in a committed relationship. I wanted to have a family. I wanted to do it. But there's always some, you know, obstacle, and to be in in a situation where there's no obstacles, um, 
Well, it's interesting awesome. because, I mean, when you say there was always some obstacle, having written the book, do you now feel like maybe the obstacle was... And it's funny because now I feel like we're getting into fucking therapy. But it is such a vulnerable book. Yeah, and, I, it was definitely... I You know, I can't really speak for that beyond... I don't... I can't be as objective as... I'm not able to be as objective as that to really understand. I know that writing the book was, was a really healthy thing and it helped me to understand myself and to, you know, see patterns in myself that are, are unhealthy and to, uh, you know, deal with them. Well, it's interesting. Let's, let's change gears for a second. I yeah. love the way you mentioned the stories, too, and the way that you did that. It's funny, because you were saying before we started recording that, there's a, that Patty did the forward. Mm-hmm. Patty being, of course, the great Patty Smith. Not everybody will know that that's who we mean by name. And, yeah. you know, I mean, she is she's the greatest rock writer that ever lived. And when I say that, I mean in terms of there's a lot of musicians who've written books, but Patty is a true author. Yeah. You know, I mean, Just Kids was, you know, won awards for good reason. It's, it's a fucking masterpiece. Yes. And so it's interesting for you when you started to write this, when you go into this, you know, one of the great things about being older, I think, too, is that you start to learn where you can, where, this sounds redundant, but you learn where you can learn. And being older, you surround yourself with people that compliment you and you learn things from. So was she an inspiration in writing the book? And um, what I like about it, though, is the fact that, uh, quickly before you answer that, it does have its own voice. It doesn't feel like her but obviously when you're lucky enough to be friends with someone who's that as you put it the best of what we have to offer yeah um patty you know obviously i would never try to write like patty <laughs> you know, only patty can write like patty and she is a true author and she's just a master of words and she's like it's the same with the way her relationship to music just the way her body moves the way her voice sounds she's a person that cuts out every fucking modicum of bullshit and gets right down to the core of of what's beautiful and our connection to the divine and our 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 deepest connection to self and what vibrates the highest and the highest parts of herself she's able to access and that comes from being an honest you know humble person her whole life who's never taken shit from anybody and has you know relentlessly and diligently stuck to her guns of being herself and, and, and is a deeply caring person who wants to uplift and sees injustice and cares and acts. So, anyways, I do my best to be the best person I can. Um, but for me, Patty was um, just enormously encouraging. Like, I, like, early on, I sent her pages of what I was up to. And I'm scared. Like, I've never written a book before. I love literature. I'm a voracious reader. I've read book after book after book since I was a little kid. Books are everything to me. I'm in awe of them. But when I, you know, when I sent Patty my pages and she was just so encouraging and kind and, like, she was like, Flea, you're a natural. You have your voice. I believe in you. This is beautiful. Keep writing. You know, and, and, and through different, each stage of it, she was like, you know, this book was done basically a year ago, and I was going to put it out this time last year, and I was going through some fami- family problems and didn't put it out. I was like, it's too much. I got I to gotta step back and deal with this family stuff before I can, I can put this book out. And, um, and even then, she was like, flee. You're an artist. Put it out. It's your art. doesn't matter. You know what I mean? Like, she's just so, like... Like in a time when I was like, I'm scared to put this out right now. You know what I mean? Like I gotta deal my my kids, my blah, blah, you know what I mean. And she um, she just believed in like her belief in me um is just supremely in, encouraging, 
and I'm very grateful for it, you know, and obviously I'm also really, really grateful that she wrote a forward for me, which is, you know, she wrote a poem. Um, I think, yeah, she decided instead of writing a traditional forward that she would write a poem. And um, I'm just, you know, as always, uh, humbly grateful for her existence. And I love her very much. Are you a Replacements fan at all? Uh, yeah, I love that. I love that. I love the placements. Okay, well, it's funny because Paul. Well, I only really know that the 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 big album with Let Let It Be is the only one okay. I really know. To be, I've heard the other ones, the one before it, and Please to Meet Me, and some Westerberg solo records. But that's the only one I really know. Well, do you know the Westerberg song Things? No. Okay, it's well, on. I, I probably do know it, and I, I. It's on 14 songs, and there's a very specific reason I mention it. It's it's got my favorite line ever. He talks about it, the whole thing is about the art of writing, of being a songwriter. And, and it, he lists all these things, and he's like, things I can, you know, tell you. And then at the end, he goes, things I can never tell you. Someday you'll be a song I sing, a thing I give away. Which to me was the most honest line you'll ever hear about writing. And it's interesting, because you kind of touch upon that in the book with the fact that, you know, it's not an easy thing to put out all of this family stuff. And you do have to distance yourself a little bit to be able to say, okay, this is what really happened. And I hope people aren't hurt that I say this. Yeah, but you're putting it out there. So was it tough for you at points, and and how did you sort of get past that to realize, look, okay, and again, you put yourself on blast too. That's what I like about it, and not in a way that's bad. But again, like you know, just there's the story about you being the bedwetter, and it's like you're not doing any, you know, it, it's not. I think where people connect with the book is the honesty and the vulnerability, is the fact that this is who I am, the good and the bad. Well, I kn- I knew that no matter like how skilled of a writer or clumsy of a writer I would be. And I did my best, you know, to, <laughs> I just wrote the best I could, you know. But I knew that the only way that the book would have any value at all is if I was completely honest. And, and I even like in the editing of it, you know, and taking away all the parts I didn't need, but I took out a lot of stories that were great stories like they're wild and entertaining and I wrote them well and there's my best parts but I realized like you know I have this in for shock value you know what I mean yeah and it's I don't want to go for any easy <laughs> shots you know no shock value but it's just for shock everything has to be something that really shaped me and it has to be honest and it has to be something that made me who I am and, um, you know, part of, like, the insecurity of being a kid that wet his bed till he was 11 years old, or my dysfunction in relationships, or my acting like an obnoxious asshole thinking I was being funny, you know what I mean? Like, all of those things are part of my learning process, you know? Um, yeah, I mean, I just, I can't imagine my book being worth a shit if I wasn't honest. You well, it's know? interesting. And, 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 but it is difficult to, to write about family members and people that are close to me. Um, in ways that they might find offensive. You know, it's funny because my dad was just here. He was, you know, my stepfather and my mom are both passed away, but my father um, is still alive and he lives in Australia and I got married this past weekend and he came out for it. And, you know, I didn't really, I didn't grow up with him. He left when I was six or seven. And I didn't um, really even like begin to navigate a relationship with him until I was in my 30s. And it was difficult, you know, we're very different and, you know, um, but, and I knew it would be hard for him to read this. And I didn't, like, I, the day yesterday he left to go back to Australia and I gave it to him. And I was like, you know, I got a box from him and I was like, Dad, here's this, you know, and I, I had to be honest. I had to tell my story. I hope you don't find this offensive, you know. Um, I knew he was going to read it one way or the other. <laughs> you know what I mean? But it's scary, you know. I don't want to hurt him. 
Right. But I have to be honest or why write it, you know? That's funny though. I don't think he comes out. I don't, I don't feel like having read it from the outside perspective. And of course it's hard when it's your story. Yeah. But reading it from the outside perspective. Yeah. I don't feel like anybody comes off bad. I mean, oh, you're that's very cool. I didn't, you, I didn't, you you're know. very honest about who they are. And that's the thing is all people have their warts yeah. and they're good. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, it's like, and it's interesting. He'll pull that, that, that <laughs> And it, it's interesting having sure. written the book. And by the way, so the dog is bringing over the ball, and that's yeah. what we're talking about to make sure he doesn't uncover it. But you yeah. know, the dogs come first, man. That's always the way it is. Well, Professor, and, and, and Professor's he, a very uh, good teacher. And, and, um, and you write in the book about Bambi as well and that relationship. Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, that, you know, dogs have always been a big part of my life. Um, it's so funny. This is the one for me as a fucking diehard animal lover, yeah. and as a dog person, that's the one thing where I think the parents come off bad because I just like I don't think. Oh yeah, that yeah. was fucked. Yeah, I'm like I don't know that they can speak that to them. That was fucked. Yeah, I, and, I, and I never and, and I was even more hard on them about it, and I kind of softened it because I kind of never forget. It was like one of those little kid things where you're like, my parents are assholes, man. Because, you know, we had this family dog. It was our dog when I was a kid, and it was my best friend in the world, a black lab named Bambi, who I love so much. And then we're going to move to America, and instead of our parents... Like, I knew Bambi couldn't come to America with us, and instead of our parents saying, hey, you know, Bambi's going to go on Tuesday to, to live with this new family, they thought, oh, well, the kids can't handle it. We'll just put them in the tub. And then we got in the tub. They're like, Bambi's gone. We're like, where's Bambi? Bambi's gone. And, and our dog disappeared. And I just thought at that point, I was like, they're full of shit. You know, as a four-year-old thinks, I was like, how could they not give us the chance to say goodbye properly? Because they didn't want to deal with a little emotional scene, you know? Um, yeah. Well, it's interesting. Did you turn around and... I'll take the time to say it, by the way, because we could talk about this all fucking day. And I don't know how you are on time. But what I was going to say is, it's interesting, as you wrote this book, and I talked about learning from writing... You know, talk about how these relationships changed for you and your perspective on them changed. Because like I said, from the outside perspective, I didn't feel like you were particularly hard on... I felt like they were... Obviously, you went through extreme things. Yeah. But at the same time, I don't feel like you blamed anybody for them necessarily. No, like, like if anything that I've learned, and, I, and I learned, I've learned it more as I go on and, and learned in the writing of this book, like with my parents, as much as like... They fucked up. You know what I mean? Like, they made big mistakes as parents, without doubt. And I was, from a very young age, just, like, wild and in the street and unwatched. And there was no structure. And I was left alone. And I was, you know, I just got up to crazy stuff and got in trouble because I didn't have any structure. But I can't blame them. Like, I chose to get in trouble. I chose to, you know, to steal and to do drugs and to run around like a lunatic. But, um, and, but the thing is, like, in retrospect, they love me. They just did the best they knew how. Like, given, like, like given the gifts that they, like, or the abuse or the trouble or whatever they were given by their parents, they did their best to express their love to me that they knew how. And they didn't receive the education of how to do it either. Well, for you, it's interesting. Um, you know, and I just looked at the time, so we will wrap up in a couple minutes because mm -hmm. I, I don't want to, you know. Yeah, I do have to make dinner for my kid. Yeah, I, I don't want to, you know, overextend yeah. our welcome. But, I mean, ending the book where you chose to, yeah. it's because like Moby, for example, I, we were talking about rock books earlier. Yeah. I love Moby's first fucking mm. book. It's, it's, I haven't read any of his stuff. It's really well written, and it's interesting because he purposely did multiple volumes. So the obvious question, 
do you see a, a you know another volume coming out, or do you see another book coming out at some point? Well, and it's funny because you mentioned as well all the stories. Obviously, yeah, well, that you I was absolutely certain that I was going to because I initially wrote um, all the way up to like year two thousand. You know, I end the book in eighty three when the Chili Peppers start, and to me that those all that stuff leading up to the band explains the band, at least from my perspective, more than had I gone through every little you know, record recording process and every band argument and misunderstanding and ego bruising. But, um, and I intended, okay, first I'm going to take this first part because I just wrote it in this kind of this long rant, you know, just sit journaling, journaling, writing every morning. Um, but then when I, when I got to the point when I decided just to do my childhood, I took that part of all the writings I did and refined them and turned it, gave it the rhythm that it has and, and um, <clears throat> you know, filled in the blanks and put it in order the way I wanted it and, you know, edited it as ruthlessly as, ruthlessly as I was able. Um, but there's all this other stuff too. And I, I, I'm so still in the process of this book, like talking about it, it coming out, dealing with all the vulnerability of putting it out, all of, you know, it's a crazy fucking feeling. Um, but all of that, so I just don't know. I need to process this, get through it, and then decide what I'm going to do. Because I was certain I was going to do it, and right now, to be completely honest, I'm on the fence. Well, it's such an interesting thing as well, because also, <laughs> writing a book when you, and obviously, you know, Anthony needs scar tissue and everything, yeah. but writing a book when you're in a band is a very different thing. But what, what, what I would imagine is interesting as well, and we'll wrap up on the conservatory in a second, because it's funny, because what you said about you know being a good person, it's interesting. You know, We talked about relationships and you getting married and all this, and before we come out of the conservatory, and obviously you've been giving back for so many years doing that, You know, I, I think one thing that's really interesting is as you go back and read this book, right? And write this book and read it and see everything that you've done in there, are there Chili Pepper songs that, that now you go back and have a totally different perspective on because you have a much better understanding of who you, or as a fan, just music that you appreciate different? Oh, and that was another question I wanted to ask you, and this all kind of ties in. So, you know, you, got, you, you met your wife at the event last year. I just saw Eddie at Ohana. He could fucking sing anything in the world, right? As we saw when he did everything from like, you know, Beatles to, I believe, Cat Stevens. Is there one song that you would want Eddie to sing for you and your wife? <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, Mike kind of... It's kind of another way maybe of asking yeah, the you know, kind of like One of my favorite love songs in the world is uh, Into, Into My Arms by Nick Cave. I fucking love Nick Cave. I, me too. I, I, I'm, he's, my, he's my favorite, you know. Um, but... You know, I you know I I, I I don't know. Like everything that Eddie sings, he really reverberates. Like it's like like the thing that makes him great is it's straight from the fucking heart. You know, this and, is this is fascinating though because you just put out this book, right? Yeah. Did you see the uh, the thing Nick Cave did a couple of weeks ago at Disney Hall? The Q and A and no, I wanted to and I couldn't. It's fucking brilliant because everything Nick yeah. Cave does is fucking brilliant. He's the best. He is, there's no one like him in the yeah. world right now. And, yeah. and again, unfortunately, it's something that came about from when you've gone through what he's gone through. Yeah. It just changes you as a person. He talks about that. But it's so interesting because what he did, it was him doing solo piano and answering questions from the audience for two and a half hours. And yeah. people just went fucking deep. And there was nothing. Did he play piano and sing songs? Yeah. Oh, great. Yeah. But he did 12 songs and the whole it was two hours and 45 minutes. Yeah. And the rest of the time was him answering questions from the audience. So. Yeah. It's it's such an. Did interesting he break it up or do it like in two different sections? No, it was just he would like 
answer questions and you know do a song uh -huh. but it went continuous Man. and it's funny because Brad Pitt who's at every Nick Cave show in the world was in yeah. front of us and Chris Martin was in the row in front of us as well and, I, and the only reason I'm bringing that up is because I'm sure for an artist it was fascinating to watch because it's such a unique concept kind of like Springsteen on Broadway Yeah, it makes you wonder like are there people thinking what is this like could we try this and because obviously you put so much of yourself out there in the book is it something that you could imagine ever doing where you would take it's because in a way it almost is like a book signing yeah no I could the thing is I'm not really uh, I know I'm not a singer I do do solo performances with the bass and stuff and I could do something like that like I thought about the thing is I've been so absorbed lately and not having time to practice enough because <laughs> I thought about bring, doing something like that on because I'm going on a book tour I'm leaving on Sunday oh nice and um you know, going to be doing signings and talks and stuff. And I, I have yet to, to uh, I don't really know how that's going to be. I'm kind of winging it. Um, but I considered like setting up and playing and everything. I just don't have it together, get all that together right now. It would take some forethought. And I've been, like, Chili Peppers been running around the world doing shows. I got married. I'm, the book's coming out. It's just like a, a lot going on. It sounds like the sort of like a river of stuff that I'm just like staying afloat in. So, um, um, but I would love to, you know, incorporate music with uh, my literary aspirations in a, some variety yeah and obviously let's wrap up on the school yeah. and talk about that and you know you're doing the benefit that we talked about this Saturday night. it's such a funny thing I love that karmic thing though too of you created the school because it's something you believe in helping people yep. and through that fucking school you met your wife yeah it's the best that it's is the best and and you know the school has been you know oftentimes I get I get uh, people you know, complimenting me or being or thanking me or being happy about the school. But for me, just selfishly, it's been the greatest thing in the world. You know, um, every little triumph that any kid has in there. Anytime I see a scared to death kid walk up at a recital and play a song and like acquit themselves well, and you see their 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 hearts full and they're like their parents tears of joy and or, or whatever you know whatever it is and kids that like some of them I know their stories and they come from difficult backgrounds and stuff you know kids that are growing up institutionalized in different ways and stuff and 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 then they they find the beauty of playing music and 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 collectively with other kids as well um it's the most profound feeling so the fact that I did meet my wife um at my school and she had been taking piano lessons there as well um is uh you know, it, it's, even though I'm, it was like earth changing for me, the fact that it happened there is really fitting because it's been, um, it's just a place that gives and gives and gives and doesn't stop. And you started the school, what, like 18, 20 years ago now, right? Yeah, I think, I think it's our 18th year and I can't, yeah, so 19th, it, 18th, 19th. It's such an interesting thing, having now written the book and focusing so much on the childhood. I mean, when you look back on it, did you even quite understand why you were starting the school or how significant it would be in your life in terms of the importance of giving back to kids? I just knew that I was driven to do it and I had to do it. You know, I had, I had read about um, Horace Tapscott's school that he started in South L.A. And um, I had for a long time been wanting to do it, especially because they passed Proposition 13 in L.A., cut out the, you know, m most of the music programs from public schools in L.A., which were so important to me. So I just, like, it just felt like something that I had to do it. And, you know, that I, I was able to have the money to start it. And I said I wanted to spend my money on. But it's interesting. Yeah. Do you now see it from a different perspective? 
Um, in terms of, because like you say, you were driven to do it, but yeah. did you really understand why you were driven to do it then? I, yeah, my motivations were, were clear, but I didn't know what it would become. Kind of like starting a band. It's like, my, I had to do it, you know? It's like when I started the band, it was like, well, anyone who had any sense said to me, well, you're just going to be a, a outcast weirdo for the rest of your life. You're never going to make any money. You're going to be, you know what I mean? And I was like, I, I can't think about that. I have to do what's <laughs> important to me because this is what I feel in my heart. And it was the same thing with the school. And, um, and in both cases, the things have been like vibrant, long-term um, uh, pillars of, of my life and the things that give me so much and so much opportunity and so much connection to things that I care about. And, um, you know, always follow your heart. That's a, you know, follow yeah. your heart. And but, when you have a real heartfelt thing you know is good, do it. Well, and it's funny on that note, I do have to ask, even though that was such a great wrap-up point, but just one last thing. It's funny because when you have the book, yeah. you have the school, right? Yeah. It's interesting because I think I've talked about this and this comes up so much more with musicians. I would imagine as well, because you mentioned the Chili Peppers and how it's been a longstanding thing. Yeah. You know, it's one of those things that when you have outside interest, it fuels the music. It allows you to appreciate it. It allows you to take breaks from it. So I imagine doing this book and having the school all these years is probably part of the thing that continues the love of the Chili Peppers. Yeah, I mean, everything in my life feeds into the next, and all things are dynamic and go through periods. Like, there's times when I'm writing a book, and I was like, you know, feeling stuck or not knowing, you know, how to put it all together, or, you know what I mean? Like, get to these stumbling blocks in it, even though I always loved the writing process. And same thing with everything in life, you know, you have to weather the, the, the barren stretches. Yeah. Cool. Anything you want to add I didn't ask you about? You covered a shit ton. Nah, I got to make beans for my kid. Nice. All right, yeah. so so Lakers, how far do they go this year? All the way, baby. I'm going to the game tonight, too. Nice. All right, yeah. cool. We'll, we'll, we'll get out okay. of Okay, cool. Yeah, thank Hey, this has been Steve Baldwin on My Turning Point. You know, just hanging out at home with Flea. No big deal. Hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. Again, I cannot recommend this book highly enough. It's such a wonderful read. And such a great dude so hope you enjoyed the conversation with Lee as much as we did thanks It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. 
Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any fantasy points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.